Light beer, dark money. Agree on something. Politics, culture, and the intersection of faith, freedom, and free enterprise. And now, live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, here are your hosts, Light Beer, Chris Clements, and Dark Money, Sean Noble. Welcome back to another episode of Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm Sean Noble. And I'm Chris Clements, and we are together yeah. again. I mean, it's been a while. I mean, it's the last been time like we three were, weeks. Last time I was on, I was on by Zoom because I had COVID. Yeah. Then I was out of town, and then you got COVID. I, I did get COVID. I got COVID last week. So and is been, that your second, been, second That was my time? second time. Yeah, and I had it. That was my second time. Yeah, and I'm just going to go to the mat. Um, Z-Pack. Z-Pack. Z-Pack yeah. just do knocks it. I just toughed it out. Uh, well, I mean, I you don't probably have a good doctor like I do. You know? I don't have a good doctor. Yeah. I mean, I... I but it's good to I be back. It's good to be back. It was, it was weird me sitting here a couple weeks ago and just looking over and like, oh, well, now I have to look up to yeah. the uh, camera. What? So, but we have a really special guest on our show today. Yes, we do. Um, Simon Rosenberg of the New Democratic Network, uh, probably our most prominent member Democrat that we've had on. I don't think we've had that many. No. To be I honest mean, We've with had you. people who are... Left leaning, like, yeah, like but, Roy but, Roberts. But, <clears throat> but Simon actually, I mean, he knows what's going on in the Democratic Party he, because he's been there. For he's been there. A long he's time. been part Not of the Clinton Simon, but, you know, administration, <laughs> Obama, the whole nine yards. And the, I got to meet Simon. I've been working with Simon. Oh gosh, fifteen years, Simon. Yeah. And uh, as part of the seminar I, that I put on, that Simon is very helpful with, uh, with the Young President's Organization, YPO, we do a seminar called Inside Washington. And Simon is always one of our first guests who kicks us off. And and we usually have like Grover Norquist mm-hmm. and then Simon. And as the contrarian sort of, uh, he's, he usually comes in and says, I don't know what, Gore, what Grover said or whoever said, but let me tell you what's really happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he always, I, I, th- I, I think it's safe to say our our guests are our our members are always a little center right and so simon's a really good sport yeah i have to say that's good because there's a lot of people who um would challenge him on well good for people to hear an intellectual argument of the other side because simon i i mean the one thing that stands out for me with you is is that you have solid arguments i mean it's not just vitriol um, it's not name calling. It's try, actual philosophy. <laughs> so we'll get into some of that. Yeah. yeah. And Simon used to be a frequent guest on Fox News and yep, Megyn yep. Kelly. And I yep. used to text Simon as he was on. You know. <laughs> so is she really? Is she really? So what does she look like? Like a conversion? You know. Because <laughs> that's what everybody really wants to know about. Yeah. But oh well. But yeah. Simon, thanks so much yeah. for being here. And, yeah, it's great to be here. And obviously, a lot going on in the. Uh, in the country right now, a lot going on with your party and and uh, the presidency, and we've got January six open hearings tonight. tonight. We've got a gun control bill that pretty much sailed through on on party lines in the House, and probably won't do much. In no, the it's dead in the Senate. But the Senate is actually, I mean, for the first time in my political career, uh, the Senate is seemingly getting pretty serious about passing something. Something. Yeah. What do you think, Simon? What what sort of things are yeah. you working on? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think right now in this election, um, you know, the real focus is on the economy, right? I mean, the and Biden and the Democrats are going to have to defend what we've done. And 
what we've done is that we've led a very, very strong recovery. Inflation is too high and we need to keep working to get it down. Um, and I think a lot of voters, this is really, when you look at polling, I mean, this is the central issue on people's minds right now. And I think it's going to be the central issue over the next four to five months. I think we have a lot to run on. I'm, I, you know, I think that by, you know, we've seen historically strong economic growth, GDP growth has been very high. We've seen more new businesses formed in the last year than any year in American history. There's a lot of vitality uh, and entrepreneurship and resilience in the American people. The American people, they didn't retreat during COVID. They went out and went to work. They just went to work in a different way, perhaps, than in the past. And I think we should be very proud of the American people for what they've done to create such a strong recovery. But we've got to work to get inflation down. It's too high. A lot of what's driving inflation now is coming from the Russian war, right? And, and food prices and high gas prices are the, the fault of Vladimir Putin. And, 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 you know, he's created global inflation and it's a global challenge. But it matters to the American people. And we've got to do more. And so I, I think that's going to be really where the battle lines of the election are going to be fought. I think this is going to be a very competitive election. I, I'm not of the belief that Republicans have some significant advantage. Uh, there just isn't a lot of polling in actual races to suggest that there's any kind of Republican wave. And certainly it's not an anti-incumbent year, right? You don't see a lot of governors in trouble anywhere. There isn't sort of a throw the bums out kind of attitude right now. And so I think we're going to have a very competitive election. Um, and Democrats are going to have to, you know, look, when you're the incumbent party, you're graded on are things better? Do people think things are better? If people think things are better by November, we're going to do fine. If they don't, we're going to have a tough election. And uh, I think we've got a good case to make, and we've got to get about making it. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I disagree, not surprisingly, <clears throat> on some stuff. I, I find it I, – I view the, the, the landscape for the Republicans, which should be ideal because it's a – first term president and the first midterm and all the different historical things you look at. And, and there are challenges with, with inflation. Um, I think that what it is, what, what the reason that I think Republicans will do very well in house races, as opposed to Senate, I think the Senate is a toss up. I think it could go either way with the flip of a coin. Sure. I don't think it's going to be, a big shift. It's it's probably going to be one or two seats. Someone will have the majority. It probably won't be 50-50, but it will be 51-49 or 52-48 at, you know, at most. Um, but I think the House is in for a big, big change. And I think it's because there are so many uh, – the, the Democrats in the House tend to be a more, way more liberal and following more the AOC view – Sandy then, Cortez, yeah. Then the then the others, um, you know, th those in the, that are running in the Senate. And Simon, I'm interested in in yeah. you know, you look at a variety of different, you know, obviously Virginia, New Jersey with the governor's races. That was kind of whoa, that's earth shattering. Uh, particularly New Jersey. I think New Jersey is a bigger story than Virginia, frankly. Um, the fact that New Jersey's governor only won by you know a percentage point or two uh, in a state that. Biden carried by 16. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, you look at some of these, you know, indicators like the, the school board recall in San Francisco. And now just this last yep. week, uh, this DA that got recalled, that's, yep. that's pretty big 
Um, that sent, doesn't that send a real big message to Democrats across the board and, and kind of what you and people of your ilk have been saying is we need to be focused on things that people care about, not all this craziness. Yeah. And look, I think that where I have a slight disagreement with you in the House, and when I, where, where I will agree with you in the House is that when waves come, the House tends to, incumbents tend to be less capable of surviving the wave, right? Because they're just not as well known. Senators have more resources. So you're right that if there's a, a Republican wave that manifests, it's more likely to happen in the House. And I just will tell you, though, that the incumbents the Republicans are running against are not AOC Democrats, right? right? Many of them have military backgrounds. You know, we have three Naval Academy grads, you know, in, in our pool of people. And so you actually have most of the incumbents in the House are people who are not politicians prior to running in 2018 or 2020. You know, mo- almost every candidate who's up is recently elected. And they also survived what was a good Republican year in the House in 2020, and they're raising a lot of money. And so I I think the House is going to be very competitive. And I think the other reason why is that I think there's an anti-MAGA majority in America. I think that, you know, we saw in the last two elections, the average Democrats won those two elections by an average of six and a half points, right? It's a big number. We had historic high turnout in both elections. So more people have voted against MAGA than have voted against any politics in the history of the country. And the question would be is, would that anti-MAGA majority show up again in this election? And I think that with the school shootings, with the Roe v. Wade, you know, uh, the potential of that being eliminated, what we're going to see with the January 6th committee, I think that there's those people, those swing suburban voters who voted against Republicans twice, are going to be reminded about why they voted against the Republican Party. And I think what it creates is a very low ceiling for the Republicans this election. Um, And it doesn't mean they don't win. I'm not saying that. They could easily win the House. But the question is, is the ceiling 51 or is it 49? Because, you know, Trump never broke, you know, the Republicans haven't broken 46, 47 percent of the vote in a long time. And, And so, you know, we'll see. I mean, if the Republican Party had moderated and run away from MAGA, I think they would be running away with the election right now. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, they did. Absolutely, 100%. And and what's interesting is even in Arizona, right? I mean, we just did some Hispanic polling, and Mark Kelly is running 10 points ahead with Hispanics of where he was, you know, in 2020. And amazingly, the Democrat-Republican brands in Arizona with Hispanic voters is better the Democratic brand is better in Arizona than it is in Nevada. And I think that's in part because, you know, you, as you know very well in Arizona, the sort of the more radical part of the Republican Party has been very visible there mm-hmm. over the last year and a half. And it's and it's seeped in. People have been paying attention. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's where the Republicans, I think, have a low ceiling. And we just don't know how low it's going to be this year. Oh, I think... I think you're absolutely right. I can't believe we're agreeing. This is great. Um, I, I think in Arizona, one, one, I'm actually working on a piece on, on this right now. Um, I think what we're seeing in Arizona is a conservative crack up to, to, to use a, yeah. a book that was very formidable in our youth right. um, by R. Emmett Terrell uh, of the American Spectator. And that is um, you're having candidates who really have no guiding principles and no guiding understanding of, of why they're running, what they want to achieve, and what they want to do, and, and instead wrapping themselves in personality. And, 
and because of that, um, people are turning away from the Republican Party in, in, in some circles. And you have movement conservatives who are looking at these personalities who really have no business running for, you know, dog catcher and, and was, was suspect because they don't have any guiding real principles. And, yeah. uh, and I think that matters. I think that matters in the long term. And we've seen that, I think, has been the Trump effect within the party, uh, the, the cult of personality versus, you know, the, you know, the holding of, of, of conservative principles and, and, and running on those and understanding what you want to achieve. Yeah. Um, we have several candidates here who have wrapped themselves fully in, in that MAGA mantra. And I think there's a place for it um, you know, certainly uh, within the grassroots, if you want to call it that, but they they simply are, are going to be, be making forced errors, thinking that's going to carry them over the finish line versus understanding what it is they want to achieve and why they're running and uh, and what they want to do for the state. And most of them don't have no clue what they want to do for the state. Well, and I think that goes to your point, Simon, that yeah. in, in, not just point, in Arizona, <clears throat> but in, in all, kind, all across the country, who the Republicans nominate is going to matter on how yeah. big the the wave is, um, because as you point out, we as a party abandoned the Trump philosophy, uh, and and I'm not saying the issues because on the issues he was guided correctly, but the you know if we if we'd gotten rid of the as you point out, Chris, the cult of personality. This would not even be a question. I mean, this would be a slam dunk for Republicans up and down the ticket without even lifting a finger um, because the structural advantages are just so uh, apparent. Um, and But we have it, – it makes – politics is always very interesting. And this, is, this year, which could – you know, should be kind of a, a pretty – Land in the sense of, oh, it's going to be a Republican takeover, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's very interesting because you have the hardcore left of the Democrat Party that's kind of spinning out of control. You've got the hardcore right of the Republican Party, which is spinning out of control. And so it, it, it adds a lot of, of you know, chaos drama. to this and drama. <laughs> drama. So it isn't going to be just a kind of a run-of-the-mill election that you expect this, the pendulum to be swinging. I mean, there's going to be surprises all over the place, yeah. both yeah. ways. Um, yeah. No I, question I agree about with that. It. I think it's, look, I also, I want to praise Kevin McCarthy about in one way, which is that part of the reason the Republicans made gains in 2020 in the House, even though Joe Biden won the national vote, was because he recruited candidates that were harder to label as MAGA, and they mm -hmm. were also more women, more people more minorities and people of color right and so they were but the difference this time and the thing that i think is, and he's done it again by the way the recruitment by the republicans had been very creative in the house and so i, I give them kudos on that the question is going to be though is that it's going to i just think it's going to be very easy to, for any democrat to say if you vote for my republican opponent you know, you get MAGA chaos in Washington, and and that wasn't true in New Jersey and in and in uh, and in Virginia. Those were state races. They right. weren't. Neither of those candidates were deeply connected to this national thing. And the truth is, the House Republicans have embraced MAGA with more enthusiasm than any other element of the Republican Party right now, other than a handful of governors candidate, you know, governors races and so on. And it's been a wholesale embrace of Trump, right? And 
I, and, and MAGA. And I think that McCarthy lost control here. You know, I mean, he I, he could have created a different understanding of who the Republicans were, and they've just been unable to do it. So I, I think I think these tensions that you're describing, which is you have the old traditional conservative, you know, Republican Party, and now you have MAGA, and there's a competing ideology, right, inside the Republican Party. And, and how this plays out uh, is going to be, to your point, unique in every state and in every race. And uh, I will tell you, though, having been in democratic politics for 30 years, we have more material to label Republicans as out of the mainstream in each of these races than we've ever had in any race that I've been part of. And because the Republican Party is more out of the mainstream than it's yeah. ever been. Well, and, and, so, it, it, and the, so that's where we still, that's why I still think like this is gonna, we're, this is like gonna be a college basketball game. It's gonna be close to the end and then anybody can win. And a lot will come down to, frankly, the performance of these in the House, anyway, of the individual candidates, I think, and how they perform. Yeah. And I I will point out that as as much as you have material about the Republicans, <laughs> Democrats have, <laughs> have been the gift that keeps on giving. Well, well certainly, as well, I, I the, guess a contrarian view from Simon is it, it, this president is the gift that keeps on giving. And I mean, how do you... As a, See, as a democratic actually, strategist, I actually, with, with let me if, interrupt you for one okay. minute because I actually think that Biden is is less of the gift that keeps on giving because there is so many other radical elements within the party that that just are so far. But I'm talking I about your just point two, just, two points specifically yeah. that he mentioned that that will play a part within the election: inflation, number one, mm-hmm. gas prices. People vote for their pocketbooks overwhelmingly. In in our neck of the woods. Immigration is going to be a massive yep. factor. And I'm still wondering, you know, for somebody like a Mark Kelly, and I'd love your perspective on this, Simon, you know, how, how, did, when does he, we keep asking this, when does he really pivot strongly in a way that, that, that helps him away from, you know, Biden's falling, falling poll numbers, his numbers on the, on immigration and some other economic issues and start offering proposals to really, to fix things. What, what, what well, do you think about that? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, one of the most interesting questions in this election right now is whether or not Biden's approval rating is as important as an approval rating traditionally is. Sure. And, 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 and people, others, you know, have raised this and I'm in my own, the thing I keep coming back to, and it happened even just in this set of polling I just was involved in, in Arizona, Nevada, and Pennsylvania with Hispanic voters is that, um, when the vote, when the, the when it actually came to the vote, are you going to vote for this Democrat or this Republican, the actual named candidates? Mm-hmm. That's when the Democratic margin got the biggest, right? Party ID, you know, the sort of the perceptions of the two parties were closer, right? But in each three of the three states, where, Demo- where Mark Kelly's numbers went up the most is when you said, okay, this you want to vote for this Democrat or this Republican. And I think that what I, the reason I'm raising this is that I think that it's possible that Biden is just not going to be a major factor in this election, you know, I mean, or, or that his, his suppression of the democratic brand has been baked in, but people are going to vote on these individual races and not on Biden. I mean, you can be disappointed with Joe Biden and still vote against Republicans up and down the ticket, right? Those things are possible. 
51.5% of the country voted for Joe Biden. And so all Democrats have to do is get 47, 48% of that 51, and we win the election, right? I mean, we don't have to get it. I mean, the math favors us here, right, because of the strong showing we had in the last two elections. But I will say that for Mark Kelly, I think you're already seeing him break with Biden on immigration. That's already happened, right? Um, a not, little bit. And, and I, yeah. Well, uh, the Title 42 stuff is a big deal. I don't. I don't think that's a small thing, actually, in our in our party. Right. Mm-hmm. It may not be seen as, but, and I and I do think that Biden has time uh, to uh, make clearer to the public what his stance is on immigration, and I certainly am an advocate. Uh, for them to be to lean in more here, I think his position is being defined. They're basically not engaging, right, in letting the other side define, you know, his his strategy on immigration and the border. And we've got to do more to even that up. I mean, I think you're right. I think in Arizona and and the Southwest, these issues will matter a lot. Uh, I don't know that they're going to matter so much in the rest of the country, right? I mean, Trump. Remember, in 2018, Trump tried to close the election on immigration and the caravan, and and he lost the election by eight and a half points. Traditionally, immigration is a motivating issue to bring Republicans to the polls, but it's not, it doesn't really work that well with swing voters and, you know, because it's just down the list of importance, right? But I agree with you. I think this election is different and it speaks to the question of is Biden in charge? Is he strong leader? This gets to strong leader, weak leader issues that I, I think he's got to address more forcefully uh, in the coming months. But I think what we're seeing is, and you guys even said at the beginning of the broadcast, I mean, the Senate races are decoupled from Biden. Um, and I don't, and I just wonder whether or not, you know, Biden is, is not as, that again, can you be disappointed in Joe Biden and still vote against Republicans up and down the ballot? That's not a big leap, right? Like that's not some crazy that's, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to do that. The question is how many, yeah. um, and and we just don't know. Well, and that's the <clears throat> it goes to the what the turnout models will look like as well. I mean, yeah. there, obviously there's there's a lot of enthusiasm on the Republican side because yeah. there is this boogeyman. Um, so the question is, you know, are there going to be sufficient issues that motivate, you know, Democrat voters? in a way that they were motivated in 2018 and 2020 to, to get the gains that they did. Um, and I, you know, I think that's a question I, you know, Trump, Trump is not on the ballot and, you know, the January 6th commission is trying to, he is. Well, yeah, but the January 6th commission is trying to, you know, hype this up, uh, as far as his role, um, and is that going to translate to motivated Democrats? I don't know. Um, and I'm not even certain that that gun control and the abortion issue are going to move, you know, a motivated. I feel I feel like if you are very motivated by gun control or abortion, you're voting in every election anyway. Yeah. You're not somebody that is a casual voter. Well, let me let me let me come to that because I think this is if we got time, uh, sure. it's important yeah. to watch on that. So the issues of gun control and abortion matter most for younger people, right? And younger people tend to be younger people in our coalition are the most democratic part of our coalition and are the most infrequent voters. Mm-hmm. So if these two issues together 
create more turnout among younger people because abortion just materially affects younger people more than older people, right? So it is an actual more of a voting issue for younger people. If these two things together, you know, increase youth turnout in races across the country, that's a huge problem for the Republican Party because young people are, you know, overwhelmingly Democratic, mm -hmm. right? I mean, plus 20, yeah. plus 30, depending on the state, right? You know, you can buy. And so I do think that this is this, you know, and what the uh, Institute of Politics at Harvard just released a poll of 18 to 29 year olds showing that their vote intent now is equal to their vote intent in 28, in their polling in 2018, right? I was a little surprised by that. And, and what could happen among your Republican polling friends who don't understand Democratic audiences that well, they could be easily under modeling youth performance, which is making the electorate more Republican in their mind than it may really be. This is the big wild card. And the big wild card in this race is that if young people vote in large numbers, the Republicans are not going to have a good election. And I think the likelihood of that happening has increased dramatically in the last few weeks. It's not a done deal, right? I'm not saying it is, but it's it's the election's changing from where it was, uh, and we'll see how far it goes. I mean, we also have to see what happens with the Supreme Court. We don't we don't know the decision hasn't been made, but you know, making Roe v. Wade illegal. I mean, you've seen the polling on this, right? I mean, when a most polls. Things are in the 40s and 50s, either way, right? You know, right. 42, 55, right? It's in the middle somewhere. The number of Americans who want to see Roe v. Wade eliminated is in the 20s. It's in the 20s, right? I mean, we're look. This is something. It's almost impossible for the Republicans to have, you know, if this happens, to have pursued a politics that is more unpopular than what's about to happen with the ending of Roe v. Wade. And and I think it's going to materially affect the Republican brand uh, in the election in a negative way, particularly with younger people where, you know, the issue of their still child rearing years and all that stuff, this stuff really matters. And so, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, obviously it will be interesting. And I, I you point out a, a really interesting dynamic, which we go through every election cycle, which is how bad the polling is. Because the Democrat <laughs> pollsters don't understand Republican yeah. voters, and yeah. the Republican pollsters don't understand yeah. Democrat voters. I agree 100% on that. <laughs> I don't know where we, I, you know, and every time there's a Democrat and a, Dem and a Republican pollster who work together on trying to figure, it, it still never gets worked out. I don't yeah. know what the future of polling looks like unless they just continue to say, hey, we're close enough. You know, I, I think, can I tell you what I think has really been the big issue? That's that a there's great so point. much money in politics now that people are voting in such high numbers. I mean, that there's just so many people voting now that it means the electorate's gotten bigger. And so the, it's Which is a good thing. Yes. No, that it's is a big, super positive. It's really positive, right? But it also makes your projecting who's going to vote harder. Yep. And so yeah. it just means that this basic thing where you have to like guess on who's really going to vote. I mean, it's a, it's an educated guess, but there's more ability to make errors there because the we have so many new voters. But look, the Republican Party, Trump got a lot of votes. There are a lot more infrequent Republican voters now than there's ever been. Right. Right. I mean, the Republican Party's changed in recent years. That makes it harder to poll. The 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 more infrequent voters you have who are not necessarily going to show up means that what they call the model is just harder to get right, right? It's it's just, a, it's a math thing, right? And so that's now true in both coalitions. And so the, 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 the uh, possibility of error 
has increased uh, in in polling. There's no question. Yeah. We'll continue to see that develop. Well, I mean, we've said it on the show, and I know you know this, Simon. I mean, elections are decided in the last two weeks. <laughs> I mean, whatever we think right now is kind of irrelevant. Well, and I think and, and it goes between to, what happens now and the first last two weeks yeah, of the election is going to be monumental. And in a close election, the people who will make the decision, you know, the people who will decide the election are the ones who are not even paying attention to anything yeah. right now. No, they're, 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 they're the indifference the that... And they, yeah. they, they in literally won't be they're until doing the thing. very end. So it's it's crazy when you think about how much money is spent over the course of an election. And and it really comes down to this, you know, let's call it eight or nine percent oh, of yeah. people who make their decision late. If you're in a close race, it, it, it just it could go either way. It could decide everything. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's why we play the game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's a contact sport. Well, thank uh, you, Simon, so much for being contact. here. Yeah, listen, yeah, I we want to have you back because sometime before the election, for sure. Maybe after yeah. the few more primaries have happened, um, if you're open for it, uh, yeah, and then of course. course, depending on how things happen, we'll have to. Have do a post-election analysis on where we were right, where we were wrong. <laughs> well, well, that was always the great thing about having Simon at Inside Washington because we always did it right after the election. And to get the two perspectives mm. right after the election, what went right, what went wrong, what 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 the future looked like. Um, we, we had a couple good elections, and, and Simon was always really great about – talking about the positive for the Democratic Party in terms of what went right. And I always thought it was fascinating and always appreciated his perspective and yeah. certainly appreciate you coming on today. So well, thanks so much, an, brother. I always appreciate the opportunity to correct all the things that Grover had said uh, <laughs> before, before me. <laughs> and listen, I appreciate Listen, thanks for what you guys are doing. Uh, it's important for whatever part of this political spectrum you're on to be out there having these kinds of conversations with people uh you know the smarter our voters are the better it is for the country and i know you both are doing your part so i really appreciate it we appreciate that what we believe here is that you know politics is all about relationships and relationships are you know it's it's what we're missing in the politics right now it's everyone gets in in their little camps and they don't want to have the relationship with the other side and and discuss and debate and and still come away friends and that's one thing that your organization and other organizations in dc really try hard to to make sure that happens well and if i can just say one last thing you know it's one of the reasons i went on fox for 17 years i did thousands of appearances i was never paid right i did it because I wanted to show to Republicans that there were reasonable Democrats, right? And I felt an obligation, right, to do it. And also, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the modern Republican Party through that process. And I miss it. I wish that Fox would allow Democrats back on. But (laughs) I'm certainly... I'm happy to spend time with you guys. Whenever you need me back, happy to come back. Great. Okay. Well, hey, great. Simon, where can people find yeah, you? Yeah, where can people find you? Yeah, just uh, I'm on Twitter at SimonWDC and NDN.org are the easiest ways to find me. And, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm not quiet. And so just be prepared. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little loud uh, in the political world. Got a lot to say. Yeah, but, um, well, that's a good thing. Well, yeah. he's actually, I mean, and, and you have every right to be loud because you're well-respected on both sides. So yeah. thanks so much, Simon. Thanks, guys. Great to have Keep you. Keep up the Thank good you. work. All right. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody.